This is Steve Balton, and this week on My Turning Point, we have a really powerful and fun interview with Dashi. He talks about going from being a garbage man in Brooklyn to working with Sting on his new album, 1984. So, hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. So, let's pick a turning point, and then we'll come on to the record and how you got Sting on there. Yeah, I think the turning point was... The turning point was... uh, dropping out of college, you know? I think that was the turning point. And uh, also, there's a lot of turning points in my life. I feel like I always have turning points. Every time there's a big turning point, some make something really crazy happens in my life. You know, um, the tur- there's a lot of turning points. I dropped out, that was a turning point. Flying out to LA was a turning point after signing. After I dropped out, I, I ended up I ended up uh, being homeless in New York City, trying to figure it out. And then I ended up getting my deal. That was another turning point, but the deal sucked. And I was stuck in this uh, deal and I had to find a way to get to LA. So I got dropped because the it wasn't working. So once I went to LA, it was another turning point in my life. There was this guy named Austin Rosen who flew me out. And as soon as I got to LA, it kind of really showed me what the music and what the business is really about and how it works. And, um, and but things didn't work out still. I was still sleeping on people's couches and living out of my, my suitcase. And then the biggest turning point was, uh, this is getting personal, uh, having a warrant for my arrest. I can't, I don't really want to talk, talk about what I did to have a warrant for my arrest, but I had a warrant for my arrest and I got in trouble with the law, which um, um, I couldn't go back to New York. So I, I stayed in LA but I couldn't really, I didn't have money. And um, it was the lowest of lowest I've ever been. I mean, I've been through some shit, but being alone hurts way more than being low with your whole entire family because there's no one to like lean on and there's no one to talk to about my situation, my problems. So um, I was in LA. I didn't really know that many people and everything completely changed when I recorded a song called Disrespectful. And it took off. I signed to Jay-Z, signed to RCA Records, and my life completely changed. Okay, one, I want to ask you, where'd you go to college that you dropped out of? Uh, AIC, American International. Okay. Two, it's interesting because I won't ask you about the getting arrested because you said you don't want to talk about that. But, you know, this is the thing. It's like, for example, we had Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses on the show, right? And he talked about the fact, like for him, his turning point, he chose getting into martial arts when he got sober because he was going to fucking die because he was in Guns N' Roses and he was like on drugs and he was on heroin and he was going to die. And the reason I bring that up is it's interesting. I think one thing that I appreciate about the show is for everyone who goes through those lows, those absolute lows, you appreciate the good things that happened to you so much more. hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, like when you really get into, when you really get into it, 
I was the man, you know what I mean? I was the man in high school. I was the man in college. I was the athlete. I joined theater. I did chorus. I joined every program. Everyone loved me. You know what I mean? It was cool to have a lot of friends and, and be the kid that everyone thought was going to be successful. I won most popular. I won best dressed and everything was going smooth. I dropped out. I lost my mind. And that's when I, I, you know, I think the real fucking turning point was when I started to lose my mind. And from 2013 to 2015, I've, I've had the worst anxiety of my life where I, I, I would, I, cause you just reminded me like, damn, like, you know, sometimes you forget the shit that you do, that the shit you did go through because it's been so long and I'm so blessed to be in the position I am today. But like from 2013, the real turning point in my life where mentally I was fucked was when I started to do Xanax and started to, to do other drugs to, to kind of help me calm down that were killing me. You know what I mean? I've, I've, I've always leaned on it and, and it got to a point where I did so much that I ended up in the hospital. And that's, that was the real turning point when I woke up and I saw my, my sister and my mother at the hospital. I think that was the actual real turning point of my lifetime, not just my career, my life. And I've been sober since 2013. Which nice. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm proud to say, like, I'm really proud to say no weed, you know, no Xanax, no, no Percocet, no, no, uh, no, there's this thing called a Roxy. None, none of that. Like there's nothing in my body. I've been clean since 2013. I'm proud to say that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's funny because you say that because I've interviewed Alice Cooper many times, right? And, you know, he's like so famously sober. And I asked him once about it. And, you know, when he realized that, you know, he needed to get sober, he's like, when I went woke up in the hospital, you know, coughing up blood and the doctor said, you're going to die. That's fucking crazy, man. Yeah, it's I many, and so for a lot of people that happens. But I mean, so it's interesting. Like I say, I think one of the things I appreciate about those people who've been through that point, they yeah. do have a greater appreciation. So take it to the record to 1984 when you're sitting there recording with Sting. And I don't know if you did this like you know digitally or if you actually got to meet him. So so um I I because uh, it's been Corona, so I really haven't had the chance to like link up with him. But we've been keeping in touch and talking. And I send him the record, and he loved it so much, and he wrote it. He wrote his verse and send it back. So now that we're shooting the video, we're gonna actually have a chance to meet and talk and 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 you know what I mean see how that goes. But unfortunately, I've been in a position where it's like we're all caught up with this whole virus thing where I, as much as, you know, I mean, I would love to link up with him. I think it's best that he stays safe. I stay safe. And, and you know what I mean? I think it's safe to, to, to wait till it's the right time to meet up. But um, talking to him on, 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 phone, on the phone and and through text and his management, that's the way the record uh, got done. And and I'm I'm so proud of the record too. I'm super happy about it. Well, and it's interesting because when you think back to being in that hospital and waking up and your mom and your sister being there, and now you can look at like, now you're doing a song with freaking Sting, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, like, that's what I was getting at. I'm sure you have a much greater appreciation for it because of the stuff that you've been through. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's crazy. Uh, his manager was watching one of my videos like, before I, I did the music thing, I was also a garbage man where I was doing the garbage for a living to live for free in an apartment in Brooklyn with my entire family. He saw the video of my friend recording me the last time I did the garbage 
before I got signed and my life changed. It's, my friend took his phone out, recorded me. It was like, this is going to be your last time. And I was like, Kyle, you're crazy. Like, just chill out. And it was true. Like, it was real. Like, that really was the last time I did the garbage. And I ended up getting signed. And he saw it and, and wrote, holy shit. Like, you went from doing the garbage in Brooklyn in a, in a one-bedroom apartment to do to, to making records with Sting. His manager wrote that. It was like, you know, it makes you think like, holy shit, you know? That's like some legendary shit. Not too many people get that opportunity in life. And, you know, like 50 million time, lifetimes, you know, you don't really get that opportunity. So I'm super grateful. Yeah, it's cool. So where did the going back and, and you know, the 1984 concept? And I love the fact the way that you bring it in. And it's funny because it's like, Basically, kind of a play on the freaking Back to the Future, and it's just in my mind because I just watched Back to the Future recently. Yeah, you know, but that thing of uh, no, it just happened to be on cable. I was like, I haven't seen this movie in forever, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it still holds up so well. But so, take me through the concept, and it's and again, like I say, what I appreciate not just that you nail the sound, but the dedication of the concept too. It's not like a novelty thing of like, oh, cool, this will be fun to do for a one-off but you actually do it as a whole record and all the way through. So when did it sort of first come to you? And well, let's go back even further than that, man. What's, what's the 80s record that just changed your life? The one 80s record that when you think about it, just blew your mind? Um, so many. I think like, you know, Depeche Mode, uh, uh, you know, The Police, uh, um, Phil Collins. I think, I think Phil Collins, man, I would have to say Phil Collins, you know? Uh, uh, um, but like the list goes on, man. Like, you know, I, I would, the one thing that changed me where I wanted to make this forever was Michael, Michael Jackson, seeing Michael Jackson in, 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 uh, 83, uh, uh, like come up from the 83 till now, seeing, seeing Michael Jackson, uh, drop the, not on, drop his stuff on 83, which, Obviously, I wasn't there, but I'm saying from 83 till till when his time was here, watching Michael drop his thriller was like the biggest moment. Like, I remember uh, when I got introduced to Michael Jackson, it was the first time I saw I saw an artist on TV. And it was the first time I saw music videos because you got to keep in mind, I'm still I'm still uh, I'm, I'm more younger than, um, you know, the people that were showing me the music and introducing me to, to, to the eighties stuff because, uh, I'm, I'm a nineties baby. You know, I'm, I was raised in the nineties. So, um, we, I remember on my birthday, my parents, uh, showed me Michael dancing on TV. And I think it was the turning point where, where I was like, this is what I want to do. You know what I mean? I saw, I saw this video, uh, and, and I couldn't believe it. Um, the first video I seen, I think it was between Thriller and then it was uh, it was Billy Jean, and uh, I just fell in love with it, man. I fell in love with the whole video concept of him, the way he was dancing, the way he was moving, and he always had he always had a, a swag to him, like a, like like a style to him that I always admired. And then I got as I got older, I would I would really go into Prince. I, I started to really go into George Michael's and Wham. I would really start going into research and all this music that 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 I really fell in love with and for some reason as I was doing that all the movies that I was falling in love with were uh the the soundtrack to to these songs that I was like really loving you know what I mean so you know I sometimes call myself like the trap bono you know what I mean because YouTube <laughs> at the time was was something that I was listening to as well and it was just all these all these artists um 
at one time, but I would, I would have to say like, even though I'm super influenced by Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins with my music now, currently the, the artist that sparked it all up, I would have to give it to Michael. I think Michael is the reason why I started like going into the eighties vibes. All right. So two questions on that one, what's the one Phil Collins song? I like that because you know, everybody picks Michael for understandable reasons. You know, yeah. I also love the fact that you referenced George Michael, one of my favorite interviews of all time. I got to interview you him before he passed. Yeah, that that's, was, dude, he was incredible. Bro, that's nuts. Uh, he, uh, I, I love him. I, I love him from his swag to his style. Everything about him was just so, so, uh, so legendary and so timeless, his whole swag. Like, I, I love the, the earring. And, you know, another thing is like... I, you know, I have a beard, right? Like, that's the reason why I have my beard. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, I kind of like admired his style and the way he was saying his voice was always, it always stood out to me, you know? But uh, You'll appreciate uh, the story then. He was a confident motherfucker too, in a, in a really good way. He was the coolest guy. So I only got to interview him once very quickly. And it was funny because growing up in the 80s, because I'm older than you in the 80s, I was a metal kid. Yeah. So I couldn't stand Wham. But my wife at the time was a huge fan and she wanted to go see him. So I arranged to do the interview. It was only one of three interviews he did back in 2007. And it was so funny because at the end of the interview, we did this long ass hour long conversation. It was so great. And I said to him, I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't a fan growing up. I told him that it was because, you know, my wife was a fan and he just laughed and he's like, well, tell your wife she has excellent taste. <laughs> and I I just, yeah, do. I just love that swag exactly. And it was like, but he was so like, there was no animosity. He was just so chill and so cool. And it was just like, you are just a badass motherfucker. Yeah, it's like, it's something, uh, something uh, an icon would reply. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, in order for you to, to, be, to be an icon, to be great, I think that that's the way you reply. You're not really hurt by it. You're just saying, you know, it's, uh, you either have good taste or you don't, you know, some people shop at Louis Vuitton and then some people <laughs> shop at Walmart, you know, it's, it really, it really depends on what your taste is, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I wish I met him. I have, I didn't meet him and, uh, it's good though. Honestly, it's good because I've met a lot of people that I, I loved and after I met them, I kind of didn't listen to their music the same. So I'm glad that I didn't, you know, I, I, now that I'm in the music business, I feel like I meet a lot of people and, they're nothing like I expect them to be. And it's kind of a turn off sometimes. It ruins the whole magic. You know what I mean? So, um, All right, well, I, will, I won't ask you to name any negative names because I've been there. But actually, most people I meet are cool. But it's also, So let me ask you that. We'll put focus on the positive, And then we're going to come back to the other question I want to ask. But yeah. who was the person you met? And it's funny because like, I'll give an example. Right? Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20, right? He's a great songwriter. It's not yeah. my favorite style of music. It's not. But he's the coolest fucking guy in the world. One of my favorite interviews. So sometimes when you meet people, they end up being cooler than you expected and you appreciate their music in a different way afterwards. So who was that person for you? Or, or you feel like, you know, you met them and you were like, yeah, they're cool, whatever. You're a fan, but you weren't super excited to meet them. And then you meet them and you're like, this dude is, or, or woman, is cool as shit. And then you're excited to actually go back and listen to their music. Um... Because, like I said, we always want to keep it positive. Not, not I won't ask you who. Yeah, it yeah, no, no, no. I'm a, yeah. I'm a very positive person. Uh, I'm a very positive person, and and if I have nothing nice to say, I won't say it. Um, that's a hard question, though, because I there's a lot of people that I've met that I'm like I love them even more after I meet them too. You know what I mean? But um, so who are what or two come to mind that just you know like you? you well, again, you know, you, I met you know uh, you know Skrillex. I love Sunny. Yeah, yeah. I think. 
I think he's a sweetheart. I think he's an amazing person. Um, I didn't really, I listened to him, but not the like that. And when I met him, uh, I appreciated him so much more. Um, he's super creative. He, he does his own thing. I love Skrillex. I think he's incredible. And uh, uh, I would have to say um, the most incredible person, and then when you meet them, they're even more incredible. Uh, I would have to say it's Adele. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I love Adele. Yeah, I did I an AOL it. session with her years ago, and it was the funniest thing, dude. She's chill as hell too. It is so funny because you'll appreciate this. She she was like, oh, you know, it was it was right when Twenty One came out, and she yeah. hadn't really performed someone like you yet, you know. And she said she wasn't going to be able to do it, and then she did it, and basically she made the whole room cry. And we were talking about that in the interview afterwards, and she's like, oh, it's so easy to make men cry. It is. Uh, her music makes me cry all the time. <laughs> nice. And then, and then she was telling me that most of that album she wrote when she was actually like, she's like, it was writing in journals after drinking Jack Daniels. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, I, I don't know too much. I just know uh, um, she's her, she's the only person in the world, I would say, that out of every artist I've ever met in my entire life, she's the only person that was, because she was already the, she was already the coolest person in the world. But once you meet her in real life, she's beyond, uh, she's beyond everything. I think she's, I think she's, I think she's beyond, she's magical. She's beyond earth and everything on, on in the world. She's beyond that. I feel like she's so out of here. Like I've, I've, she's, she's, the, she's proof of, I feel like she's, the, I feel like she's the last icon we have left. So. You know what I mean? All right, dude. Now, the question I wanted to ask you before, because it's funny, you said you were a 90s baby, right? Yeah. Like, I grew up in the 90s, yeah. If you were to make a record called 1994, who's the one guest artist you need to have on there? 1994. Hmm. Um, Which basically just means the one 90s artist that, you know, has to be on there, the way that Sting is on this. Okay, hold up. Can I can I look at my uh, my Apple? Sure. On, like, the the the, you know... Uh, okay. I would have, I, w I think I would have, um, the, the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Dude, that's a good answer. You laugh, but that's it. I mean, they're, I, they're great guys too. I love them. No, I love them. I love them. I think it would be Backstreet Boys, uh, TLC. Oh, I have to choose one. Okay. So I'm gonna have to choose one. Okay. Um, well, no, you have a few guests on 1984, so you could give me three. Okay. So, so okay. Let's do three. Okay. Let's do three. Okay, so I, I'm gonna do Backstreet Boys, um, uh, Lauren Hill, and uh, TLC. Nice. Yeah, um, because I just yeah, there's so much more that I would pick, but like <laughs> they're just oh my god, I love Left Eye so much, and uh, I love oh my god Aaliyah too. Fuck, I mean I can't. That's a hard question, but I think it'll be like I think it'll be I think it'll be. Aaliyah, I think it'll be Lauren Hill, Aaliyah, and Backstreet Boys. And the reason why right. I picked Backstreet Boys is because my sister listened to them so much that I know all their songs front to back. And I'm not ashamed to say I love their music. I love their melodies. And all NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, MTV raised my me and my siblings. Like, at the end of the day, it's like that's all we had when we came to America. We come home from school, we drop our bags off, we sit in front of the TV until we pass out on the floor and then magically wake up 7 a.m. for school on our beds. 
And that's how I knew I got too old when I slept on the couch and wouldn't wake up in my bed. I would wake up on because <laughs> <laughs> I was too big for my parents to carry me too. <laughs> Yeah. See, I like that though too because it's funny because going back to the '84 record, you know, you mentioned that Michael and seeing those videos, and because yeah. one of the thing about the '80s, right, was the videos and and how distinct they were and all this. And you've already done a few videos for '84, yeah. you know. But like, so I mean, you know, take me through sort of the process of like, will you be, you know, going into, because again, when you look at like Thriller and the fact that it was a short movie, you know, and yeah. you had these videos that so transcended just being music videos. So what would be like your dream video to do for any song off 1984? Like that one concept that, you know, you haven't been able to do yet, but you want to do. Because like you say too, with coronavirus, there's probably a lot of stuff you've wanted to do for promotion that yeah. you haven't been able to do yet. That's, yeah, that, um... There's a song, well, there's two, two songs that are very, well, all of them are special for me. But there's one song on my album that is so beautiful and it's so amazing to me because it's just, it's magic. It's, it's such magic. It's a magic record, you know, and um, it's called Lies and I wanted to put Sade on it. You know, because because it was so it's inspired by her. The record's inspired by her. It's about this man who who um, goes to strip club to find love and pays women to stay with him for the night because he's afraid to die alone. So I feel like that's me. You know what I mean? That's me. I feel like I don't want to fall in love. I don't want to be in love because I'm too afraid to be in love. But at the same time, I'm so afraid to die alone. I'm, I, I go and look for love in all the wrong places. And I tell people, can you just sleep over? I'm always saying, can you just sleep over? Because I just don't want to wake up alone and feel alone sometimes. And I feel like that song describes me perfect and who I am. And, you know, and um, if I could shoot the craziest video for that song, um, it would it would fucking be awesome if I could like have Sade in it play as like one of the want to start it was like like La, gashi lies uh starting sade as like one of the girls in the video like that would be amazing to me that that would be crazy and then um uh i have the song called full moon and it's basically super super fucking hard like the beat is crazy and but what i wanted to do is i wanted to basically do a thriller where i turn into a werewolf and um I do a whole dance because I really enjoy dancing and, and people don't, people see me, they're like, oh my God, he's 6'4", 280 pounds. He's a big boy, you know? But then when they see me move there, they always have the same reaction of like everyone smiles. And you know, even if they're laughing at me or whatever it is, I as long as they're laughing and, and I put a smile on people's face, I think I enjoy that. I enjoy the people, people being so surprised when they see me dance and move and, um, I want to do a whole dance to, to the video full moon and do a whole thriller theme coming out the movie theater with my girlfriend. And then she, I want it to be like where she goes into a car and she's like trying to start the car. I turn into a werewolf. Other werewolves come out of the woods and she's stuck trying to turn the car on, turns the high beams on to ask for help. And then the beat drops and I start dancing with all the other werewolves and it, it's very thriller and it goes crazy. And at the end, I finally get to the car and I open the door and it's really me. And she, I'm like, why are you so scared? And, you know, and the video ends. And then I look away and then you see the, 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 the eyes are yellow and super thriller vibes. I would, I would love to do that. You know, hopefully I will. You never know. Yeah, there's still time. So wait, did you approach Sade about being on Lies? Um, I try to have my team reach out, but we, 
we couldn't get in touch in time for the album. So you never know. It could be a remix one day. You just don't know. Well, it's interesting because, dude, I mean, I'm a huge fan too. I mean, th- yeah. there is like that woman is just, you know, uh, as cool so as they come. Yeah. So but it's, you know, going back to lies for a second, I, I mean, I appreciate the fact that you're being so honest about what the song is about too and who you are. And it's interesting for you when you think about those artists that really, you know, sort of speak to you from a songwriting perspective of being able to just put themselves out there, put that vulnerability out there. Is there one song or one artist that comes to mind where you just appreciate, like, you know, they just open themselves up in a way? And of course, we mentioned Adele, someone like you, but I don't know if there are songs that come to mind where it's just like, all right, you know, they put themselves out there so much, you feel like it's almost like, you know, like what's, you almost feel self-conscious watching. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think songs like Lies and, and, you know, when artists do that, you, it's the closest it's the closest you'll get to be to being looked at as as a, a a human being. I feel like a lot of people tend to look at artists like we're not, and we have no feelings. You know what I mean? And like, you know, people say some crazy things. Like, you know, I was watching this thing the um, two days ago. I remember um, I was um, I was going through Instagram and I saw that an artist. I'm not going to mention who, but their father died. You know, and. He, he posted his father died and that he was going to go away a little bit. And oh, that's one of my worst fears, by the way, is like my parents mean the world to me that nothing else in this world matters as much as my family does. My mom and dad mean everything to me. I have both of their faces tatted on my body. The first tattoos I got, like they mean everything to me. So um, seeing that and then watching people write, you know, uh, comment things like, oh, who cares? He has money, you know, or he's famous, like. He, you know, it's the craziest thing in the world. Like they're famous. They should like, as if, you know, celebrities and artists don't have feelings. And I think, you know, when, when, when you write a song and you perform it and people can see it and watch you, it's, it's, it's a special moment for the first time to actually see, uh, you know, show that we have emotions. We cry too. We actually artists are way more emotional than a regular human being. You know what I mean? People don't understand that we're very sensitive and, and that's what artists are. We can't explain what we're feeling. We just cry and we break down and, you know, that's why we lean on drugs and that's why we lean on things because we don't know where else to get help from. Because as an artist, sometimes I wake up and I feel like I'm trapped in a world and I can't get out. I'm literally trapped. It's like I'm claustrophobic. That's why I hate elevators. But it's like, imagine feeling trapped in the world and not being able to get out. That's how I feel sometimes. You know what I mean? And, you know, when you make great records and you write exactly how you feel and you perform them to have people kind of look at you like, damn, he's just like me. And th- those are the special moments that you get out of incredible writing, incredible songs. So for you as a fan, what was the first time you remember sort of hearing that from another artist and understanding that, you know, what you're talking about, that this person is human, that they're putting themselves out there in a way that is so vulnerable. I would say like, uh, I would say Kurt Cobain. Like when he did the Unplugged, I think it was, MTV, just watching him perform the songs and you can see the, the, the things he was going through in his eyes and his face, you know, you could feel that. And um, yeah, I think that was when I felt that. Yeah, it's interesting what you say. I mean, it's funny because obviously for what I do, I get to talk to every damn famous person who ever lived. And even when you yeah. look at George Michael, I mean, yeah. it was so tragic because that dude was, you know, 
And, and basically he, he told me when we did the interview, he never recovered from how big faith became. Because as he said, he was like, I was a kid. And then this was all of a sudden, this is the biggest record of the world. And you never really get past that. It's, it's, I mean, I, I've often said it, by the way, I know who you're talking about, whose father died because he's someone I know really well as well. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, but it's interesting. I mean, you know, I've often said, I think the fame is the worst drug there is. So for you, as you, you know, getting to be around a lot of artists, how have you learned to balance? And, you know, when you get to talk to someone like Sting, who's been through that high of being the biggest artist in the world, yeah. And leaving the biggest band in the world to, you know, and I mean, I, I got to see Sting in 85 on the Dream of the Blue Turtles tour. And here's a guy who in 1983 was headlining stadiums and in 1985 was doing jazz at venues that hold 6,000 people, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that was his choice, but that's a big damn change. So for you, yeah. talk about, you know, how you've been around so many other artists, how you've learned yeah. to balance, you know? And Adelphi is another perfect example because I don't think anyone balances fame better than her and how, being trapped in this world because I think most artists feel that way at some point. And I go back to, you know, it's so funny. The person who of all people who explained it best to me was Barry Manilow. And I love Barry Manilow. And we were talking about it. He was saying in the 70s, he's like, I would play these sold out shows to tens of thousands of people and I would go back to the hotel room and be by myself. And I would have no idea who to trust, you oh, know? And Oh, that's so crazy. He said that. Yeah. That's exactly. That's exactly my life. That's exactly my life. You know, a lot of people say to a lot of people, uh, a lot of people uh, think that I get off stage and, and I just go and have all sex. I have all the sex <laughs> and all this stuff. And what they don't understand is that um, I'll be in my hotel. I'll take a hot bath. I'll play Sinatra. And I'll order a nice pizza, right? And that's that's it. And then once the pizza's gone, I'm just staring at the ceiling. Afraid to leave my door. So wait, now, two questions. Is it a pizza after every show or do you mix it up? Or always I'm, pizza? Majority of the time it's a pizza, yeah. Uh, depending on where we are. You know what I mean? I'll probably get some wings or, or you know, but when I'm on tour, I don't really eat that bad. So I'll get one slice of pizza, or, you know, when you're in Europe and everything's closed, it's like a McDonald's, but the Big Mac tastes so good in Europe. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So going but, back to the original question, so for you then, how do you, how, what have you learned from other people about how to strike that balance to make sure that you're enjoying the music and it doesn't just become this sort of being trapped in this world like you talk about? Because obviously the trade-off is you get to make music and do the stuff that you love. Yeah, um... So are there people that you feel like you've really learned a lot from about how to sort yeah. of handle it? I would say I I I would say that I I I wish I could move like certain people that I admire. Um I would think like the only person that I really admire is Frank Ocean. When it comes to the whole balancing fame thing, I think I love the fact that his music like I love Frank Ocean because his music is incredible. He's, he has an incredible fan base. He's super known. But at the same time, I've seen Frank Ocean more than I've seen family members when I'm in Manhattan. He's always walking around Soho, no security, doesn't really cause attention. And that I admire that. I, don't, I like that he doesn't really post much. Like, see, the thing is, like, I'm at a position where I need to post. And I'm always putting my story up and letting people know what I'm doing because that's the position I'm in. And I think that fades away the close, the bigger I become, 
because that's where I'm only on my second album as far as of being signed to a mainstream label. It's my second album, really my third, but the first one was independent. So this doesn't count. So this is my second with, with a major with Sony. So, um, who knows, you know, now this album 1984 comes out, blows the fuck up. And then it, I be, I've become too popular to even post or want to post because it gives me anxiety. I'm getting judged for everything I do. Now it makes me kind of fall back from social media and kind of just live my life and stay low key. And I think that's what I like. If I look at anyone, it's Frank Ocean because he doesn't post much. And when he does, disables the comments, doesn't post too much personal stuff. And I admire that. And I think I can't wait for me to get to that, you know, or like actors, like a lot of actors don't really do the social media thing, you know, and I, I love that. I think this era sucks. And that's why I made 1984. This era sucks because people tell me, post, post, do this, do that. You need to get, you need to get your engagement. You need to do this, do that. What they don't know is the magic is fading. The more I post, the magic is fading. What I, what I admired by the, the artists that I love that we mentioned, what I admired about them is I didn't know nothing about them but the music. And that's all that matters. The music. Focus on the music, man. Don't worry about what all the other bullshit. Even like what I look like shouldn't really matter. You should just take the art and that's it. That's why you're here. You're not... You shouldn't care about what, 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 you know, what color my hair is, or you shouldn't care if I'm hairy or fat. You shouldn't care about these things. What you should care about is the music, the art. You know, you shouldn't care about my sister or my mom or my dad looks like, what, what my girlfriend looks like. You shouldn't care about these things. You should just care about the music. And I think once I get to the door of when I break through finally, because it's like, okay, he's hot now. He's boiling up. Let's see what he does. Of this, this next project takes me to the another level of my career. I think that's going to make me pause and, and be like, okay, cool. I'm off. I'm cool off the social media. The only time I'll post is when I drop new music. I don't need to show you what my dog looks like. What you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's the mystique. The mystique. Exactly. When the world that's overly exposed, the best thing you can do is play, be a mystery. Well, and especially it's funny because you mentioned the 80s, but you look at the 70s, man, and it's like, you know, I've talked about this. Look, what made Led Zeppelin so iconic and so different was the mystique. You didn't yeah. know everything about them. You know, you look at David Bowie and I mean, you know, he he was the master of feeling like he showed you so much. Yeah. And then the dude was dying, made a whole record without anybody knowing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another artist that I, I, I would run into a lot when I was a Soho. I knew exactly what his building was. He was right across the street from the Supreme store. Super low-key guy. Every day would walk back and forth. I'd see David Bowie all the time. And he would be so low-key. And I loved him in the I loved him in his in the 80s because David Bowie, as soon as you wore the outfit that you think he's gonna wear, he comes out wearing a different outfit. So now you look stupid at the show. You're like, fuck. You know? He's yeah. he, David Bowie and Madonna, right? Like I'm using them as an example because they switched it up so many times and still remained popping, still remained great and iconic, but they switched it up so many times you couldn't keep up with them. Like they could walk anywhere and you would not know it was them because they switched it up so many times. I love that about them. I think, you know, nowadays they're like, you know, like, Gashi, this is what you, this is what you decided to stick with. Now you got to stick with the style because if they can't make an action figure out of you, you can't become a star. And you got, you got, <laughs> you know what I mean? David Bowie's like, fuck that. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. That's it. Yeah. And it's, 
it's like, you know, I admire that. That means people care about you so much, so, so much that you can do whatever you want and still be incredible, you know? I always look at it, it's funny. Years ago, I used to ask this question all the time, just as a music geek. I would think, who is the biggest rock star of all time? So wait, mm-hmm. let me ask you, who, who do you as the biggest rock star of all time? The biggest rock star of all time, dead or alive? All time, so either way. Oh, I, Michael. Okay, see, it's funny. I, I, I respectfully disagree. I went with John Lennon, and I'll tell you why, for two levels. Yeah. And it's funny because one, and you'll appreciate this, I thought about this. He left the Beatles, right? He left the biggest band that ever existed. There will never be a bigger band than the Beatles. No question about that. Yeah. And the first thing he did is he comes out and he puts out a song like God, where he's like, I don't believe in Yoke. I don't believe in, I don't believe in the Beatles. He disavowed everything he had done. And then in 1975, when he's still the biggest artist in the world, when he's still John Lennon, he's like, fuck this shit. I'm going to go raise my kid and retired for five years. That is, that is a whole different level of courage. That is just like, no one would ever do anything like that. You can't do that in this era. No, you can't. But I mean, the thing was, he was going to do it no matter what. And that's what, you know, so when you think about that, that to me is the mystique and what you're talking about with the rock star is like, dude, just being like, nah, I'm, I'm cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the reason why I say Michael is because um, one, if you if you want to know what's so special is um, you say John Lennon, you say John Lennon to somebody, and they'll be like, "Who?" All the you, young kids, they'll say, "Who?" You know that there's kids that have never seen Michael in their entire life, and this is a proven fact. There's kids that never seen Michael in, in their entire life or heard Michael. If you play a Michael song, they know the song. Oh, I don't disagree with you. There's no question. And it's, there's no right or wrong answer. No, no, no you, I'm saying yeah, there's no right yeah. or wrong. But what I'm saying to you, it's so fucking weird. The fact that there's a kid in Whole Foods where I'm going in Whole Foods shopping with my shopping cart. There's a little boy with his other friends dancing to Michael singing it. Uh, it's funny. I, I, before John Lennon, I used to argue it was Bob Marley for that same reason. Everyone in the freaking world, they don't even know why they know Bob Marley. But, you know, every fucking kid in every country and everywhere in the world, when they get to college, smokes a joint and listens to Bob Marley, yeah. <laughs> even if they don't know why. Yeah. So I'm with you on that. And like I said, yeah. it's still right or wrong. But from the rock star standpoint, I just appreciated the courage that John Lennon had to just be like, nah, I'm going to do whatever it is I want to do. And yeah. I don't care what you think about me. Most overrated rock star who? You know, my gut answer when you ask that, I've never thought about my gut answer is Jim Morrison from The Doors. What the fuck? Bro, I say that. <laughs> I swear, I say that, yo. I say that. And I, it's so funny because I'm a Doors fan and I've done a lot of work with them because their manager is wow, a good friend. But dude. the thing is, they did not get enough credit as a band. Everyone was so focused on that freaking how everything was like this idea about him and the poetry and all that. And no. But I mean, gut answer, that's the one that Yo, comes to mind. That's crazy. That, I swear, that's crazy. I say that, people get pissed. Like, nah, bro. Like, another thing is, is like, to, when you do the history on Jim Morrison, you find out who his dad was. It's kind of crazy, the fact that, like, that kid's been helped set up to become who he was. You know what I right. mean? Like, coming, come, me coming from, like, the mud and the dirt, really going hard to, like, not have, have parents that don't speak English, are janitors not have not one connection into the music business somehow some way make it i think that's fucking successful that's what success is you know and just not music not let's not talk about music right now. i'm just talking about the come up right people don't mention that jim morrison's dad was one of the fucking dudes that worked in the government 
that helped Jim Morrison become who he is. And it's never mentioned. If you do your, if you do your research and you do your history, you'll see that his dad had a major role for him being the face and being iconic to the kids and the youth, you know, the whole LSD thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think him and, um, uh, 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 I think the Rolling Stones, I never really cared. I just, (laughs) I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, I really don't get it. But, the Beatles are top. The, the Beatles and Pink Floyd, I think, were so ahead of their time. Yeah. All right, interesting. Let's wrap up on, and I agree with you. It's funny because I was never the hugest Stones fan either, but I'm a fan. Like, I like some stuff, but yeah. to me, like, they're never in the conversation for greatest rock band of all time. Never. No. no. So, all right. <laughs> what, what, you know, it's funny. When people hear this record, right? We talked about it for you personally. Yeah. But what would be the coolest thing? Like, what, what, you know, what's the thing that you want, like, what would be the coolest thing for you to hear from people about this record and what they learned about the 80s music and style from this record? Um, okay, so the idea of this album is there's this kid, he visits his friend, he gets stuck in the time machine, he's, he goes back to the 80s, he makes a song with Sting, he's having fun, he becomes, he becomes popular, and then... In the middle of the album, once the interlude comes, he starts coming back to the future. And then he becomes a rock star. And he gets married to the most popular girl. He buys her ass and titties in the future. He builds this house. He becomes, he has fortune, fame. And then somehow, some way, people think he overdosed and he didn't overdose. And then the song comes on, it goes, don't OD. And then uh, he, there's a song called Funeral Friends where he's seeing everyone at his funeral uh, crying and claiming to be best friends and people trying to find pictures and Photoshopping pictures with him to pretend they were best friends. And then at the end of that song, he kind of goes to his mansion and he sees the girl that he thought loved him, putting makeup on and moving on. And then he kind of goes back into the time machine and goes back to being a kid. And now he's at the end of the song is so many people love, so many love me. That song is called So Many Love Me slash Present Time, which is about the boy in his room listening to Kurt Cobain, because now he's in 2000, but he's listening to Kurt Cobain for some reason. It's playing in his room and he's starting to realize that social media doesn't matter. Nothing matters. So many love me. I don't care who don't, but you know you want to love me. And it's just, it's just, I want people to walk away understanding that nothing matters. Everything you're worried about and no social media and all this stuff, nothing fucking matters. Go outside, play with your friends, enjoy the sun. Staying inside is not the move, man. And Instead of letting one stupid comment or somebody's opinion change your day, think about all the people that really love you in real life. And that's what I want people to walk away from. When they listen to that last song, I want people to walk away and feel like, yo, you know what? I've been doing this the whole thing wrong. I lost kind of purpose of my life. I lost the whole idea of it. That's I'm the other reason. Yeah, social media, all that shit doesn't matter at all. Nothing matters. And you're a legend. You know what I'm saying? You're a legend. Like, you're, 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 like, like I was so excited to do this. You know what I'm saying? I was having a bad day, but I was looking forward to doing this because I admire oh, dude, what this you This was a blast. This Thank was a blast. So Thank you so yeah, this much. This so fun. All right, cool. Thanks. Well, hopefully, 
one of these fucking days too, we'll actually be able to meet up in person again. And by are the you way, in LA? what's that? Are you in LA? Yeah, I'm in Long Beach. Okay, cool. Well, I'll, I'll yeah. take that right when, when, whenever we're ready. Yeah, and also, by the way, I can't wait to actually see this shit done live too. Oh man, it's going to be incredible. I'm going to come out the time machine. <laughs> uh, nice. All right, cool, dude. Good talking with you, man. Congratulations on the record. Thanks. All right, brother. Thank you. See it. Hey, this is Steve Bott, and you've been tuned in to My Turning Point with special guest Gashi. Hope you enjoyed this interview as much as we did, man. This was a blast, and I really admire him and his story. Thanks. Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.